From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Informative and engaging. Rick Munn. Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Informative and engaging are two of the nicer things that I have been referred to over the course of my life. So I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it that I'm informative and I'm going to take it that I'm engaging because believe you me, folks, I have been called an awful lot worse than those two words over the course of my life for for good reason sometimes. But anyway, here I am. Love me or hate me. I'm here for the next uh, 55 minutes on the Locked and Loaded show live on TNT Radio. Today's News Talk Radio. I'm going to be joined during the course of this hour by the wonderful Gemma Cooper and also my old sparring partner, Fabio Vici, who is a professor of critical theory and Italian uh, based in Cardiff University. He's an absolute uh, legend and he really knows his onions when it comes to geopolitics. Uh, and he and I have been chewing the fat on various issues uh, across the global stage now for pushing up in two years. So it'll be nice to catch up with him again at around about 20 past the hour. Uh, just to make you aware, uh, some people I can see in the live chat are still asking questions. Where can I watch this? Uh, where can I go to see TNT radio uh, visuals if I want to do that? Well, there. Uh, if you go to the website, uh, TNT radio dot live there's a little box on the main page about halfway down where it uh shows the current youtube live stream uh, you can watch from there or you can go on to rumble you can go on to odyssey it's streaming live on facebook and of course through the website and you can listen in on the app which is available on the app store and also the google play store so i encourage you to download that onto your listening device of choice uh, so you can uh, connect with us pretty much anytime on any device that you actually use and if you have any questions questions or queries about the live streaming or the content, uh, give us a message, uh, leave us a message on the live chat or send us a message through the contact forms that are available on the website. Now, uh, before I speak with Gemma, uh, very briefly, uh, I touched on this in the last hour. An awful lot has been dumped on the table by Rishi Sunak yesterday on Jeremy Hunt concerning the so-called autumn budget. These are things that are due to start uh, or take place come next April. One of which, of course, you know, there's an election coming up. So Rishi wants to be as appealing as possible to his voters. And what better way to do that than to tell them that inflation is currently being halved, which is they've claimed they've met their government target for having inflation. But of course, tax cuts, the access being taken to tax rates. So in a nutshell, uh, Rishi has said, we want to make sure that work always pays. Well, you know, is that not common sense? If work didn't pay, then, you know, a lot of people wouldn't work. If you're not making enough to make ends meet by having a job and you can get uh, it on benefits, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why the benefit system is so uh, abused in the UK, because a lot of people have realized they're better off not working. Okay, uh, so from April next year, which is April 2024, millions of workers will get a pay rise. That's £1,800 a year for someone working full time. Does that mean your employer is going to give you more money every uh, every week or every month or every however often you get paid? Well, partially, uh, there's a cost of uh, minimum wages going up or an hourly rates are going up, but there's also tax cuts. Uh, and if I can reference the Treasury website, uh, the national living wage is set to rise uh, to £11.40 
2.4 from next April. The new rate will also be extended to 21 and 22 year olds for the first time. This is a pay boost to millions of people with roughly 1,800 pounds a year for the average worker. And who can uh, complain about that? You know, it's a positive, you may say, and it is on paper, but again, it's like everything else, you've got to put it in the balances. Okay, so if you're getting an 1,800 pounds a year pay rise from next April, which is 2024, is the other costs of living going to nullify that or negate that? And actually, you're going to be worse off. So what I mean is if petrol still keeps going up, electricity still going up, your rent is still going up, your mortgage payments are still going up, interest rates are still going up, your groceries are still going up. If those increases come to more than £1,800 a month, or £1,800 a year, sorry, then there's a very real possibility that that pay rise that you have will be completely absorbed in cost of living expenses. So it's a balancing act. So don't take all these positives just on face value. Analyze them, take them with a pinch of salt. And if you do your own budgeting, okay, which I, you know, you should have a good handle on your own budget. If you say, well, I'm getting 1800 more a month more, but, you know, it still leaves me with a little bit extra. Well, then it's a win. But for very, very many people, that's that equates to eighteen hundred a month. It's one hundred and fifty. Sorry, eighteen hundred pounds a year is one hundred and fifty pounds a month, or say forty quid a week. So that's another way to look at it: is forty pounds a week extra going to offset the extra cost that you have just simply to run your house? And if the answer to that is yes, then it's a win. If the answer to that's no. Well, then this budget hasn't really done a great deal for you, except to cushion that blow a little bit. But you're still getting pummeled by the taxman and pummeled by uh, cost of living expenses. So with everything else, put it in the balance. Don't take everything at face value. Do the mathematics and see if they work out for you. <sighs> so anyway, that's the old financial advisor ahead of me coming back again. Believe it or not, I worked for 11 years as a financial planner within a large multinational bank. So I know a little thing or two about money. I've made some horrific mistakes with money in the past, as have we all, but you've got to weigh it all up in the balances. And for now, I'm going to uh, inhale. Yes, I'm going to inhale because I've been exhaling now for about six minutes straight. And then when I come back, I'm going to be talking with Gemma and uh, we'll see what's in the bag when she comes back here on TNT Radio. Conversations to inform and include. It's meant for everyday people to understand. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. You know, uh, without ragging on the government too much in this one, Gemma, uh, that's why I'm careful to say, uh, do your own sums. So Gemma Cooper does her sums, Rick Munn does his sums, Natalie Child does her sums, and maybe... Uh, maybe this is a, a a good positive for us, maybe on an individual level. But if the cost of this uh, increase, 40 quid a week, roughly on average across the board, doesn't offset you know the huge cost of living increases that were also caused by the government's printing of money, pushing up inflation even further, pushing up interest rates even further, is it really just a, a way to soften people up for maybe the next general election that probably will happen around about March or April of next year? Well, firstly, Rick, I have to say, listening to you there, um, I thought I was coming from the dark side when I joined TNT, but I didn't realize that you were fully in the dark side. You worked for a bank. Totally. Blimey. Darth, we were we I were in the, the Matrix, weren't we? Yeah, I was, I'm the Darth Vader of TNT. Yeah, I was a banker 
for my my sins and I worked for I worked for a large insurance company to begin with actually that were bought over by an Australian firm called AMP Australian Mutual Provident then I left there and went to work for H Boss Halifax Bank of Scotland <gasps> in their private client wow. management division so yes I was in there and then I went self-employed for a while on my own three AXA but anyway yeah I have a little bit of experience there so yeah I've atoned I've atoned for that, I've repented, and uh, I shall never be back to that darkest of dark sides, which is banking. BBC have nothing on the banks, let me tell you that. I completely, I completely concur with that. And and you're right as well, because on the very day that they've said, oh, we're going to bring in all these, these these increases in tax cuts, isn't it brilliant? Please vote for us at the next election. It's basically a bribe. Um, the, the energy regulator today, just a few hours ago, has uh, changed the price cap on the utilities. So the price of gas and electric has gone up and that's going to cost the average home here in the UK. It's affecting 29 million homes. Uh, it's going to be a, a bill for your electric and gas for, of around... £2,000 a year. So there's your 1800 quid gone, isn't it, on oh. your energy bills? And oh. and they say they have to raise the price of energy because otherwise the poor energy companies might go bust. Well, actually, it's not. It's to pay the shareholders. You come from that that world. You know you know how it works. It's to pay the shareholder profits. That's it. That's it. And, and we're, we're funding that. So, yeah, they give with one hand, they take away with the other. And they're not giving people the £400 uh, winter fuel help payment this year. So that's probably that 400 quid has probably gone towards the rises. Yep. They just they just shift it around, don't they? They give with one hand, they take with another. We're supposed to feel grateful. It's gaslighting effectively. Um, and, and the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. So, yeah, uh, you're, you're on the you know, money with that one. Well, just listening to you uh, talking there, actually, I think uh, I said to you during the, the little break before we came on that I was listening to you earlier on this morning with Lynn, but I think you actually covered that story with the uh, energy price cap earlier on, unless I'm mistaken. I heard it earlier on this morning on TNT, but that's part of the reason why we do what we do here as well. Uh, some people could just say, oh, that's wonderful. We're getting a tax cut, but we'll have to examine where's the cut coming from, how is it going to be paid for, and has Peter been robbed to pay Paul, which in this case is, uh, you know, the winter fuel allowance goes, is it part of that £1,800 and the energy price cap is going up so that's going to eat into that 1800 pounds so it's all about uh taking everything taking the, the the full picture really is what i'm trying to say and then coming to an educated conclusion as to whether or not it's a good or bad thing so thank you for that uh also that information concerning the energy price cap now wembley let's talk about wembley uh wembley will no longer light up to mark terror attacks and social causes. Uh, Sky News understands the Football Association review of policy. We'll see the arch now only lit to do with sport and entertainment. Uh, where's, where's this coming from? Where's this U-turn coming from? Well, it's uh, it's another good news story. Last uh, the last hour with uh, you and Natalie, we talked about the reversal of transport policies in in the North Somerset town, not far from me. That was all due to people power. I, I'm not sure that this one's due to necessarily people power, but I think it's a victory for common sense. And that is, of course, the world famous arch at Wembley will not now be lit to mark any kind of political or social campaign or to mark terror. Atrocities. In the past, the, the arch at Wembley has been lit up in the rainbow colours to support LGBTQ plus um, initiatives. It's also been lit up in the colours of the French flag, the Turkish flag and the Ukrainian flag. And it was used to mark the death of the Queen. Now, it's now said that after the controversy that surrounded it not lighting up in the colours of the Israeli flag, after the terror attacks that caused a huge controversy and and, uh, and one of the people on its uh, board resigning uh, a rabbi uh, it said right 
we're not going to do it at all anymore. We are not going to have the arch used for politics or any kind of social policies. We're going to use it for entertainment and we're going to use it for sport. Now, I think it might be in this instance, it's a case of money talking in terms of the amount of players within the, the FA, the Football Association, playing for big teams who did have sympathy with the pro-Palestinian movement and did did yeah. express pro-Palestinian sentiments, not pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian. And the, the players were big name players. So I think it's more a case of, you know, let's just draw a line under this. Let's, let's not escalate anymore. We don't want players leaving. Uh, and we also don't, we don't want the controversy the Football Association is saying. I don't think it was people power. I'm not getting that from this story, but it's, it, it's broken here in the UK. It's a big deal because if one organization has the courage and it is the courage in a way to say we're not going to virtue signal anymore, which is what it yeah. was, let's face it, then yeah. other big institutions may follow suit. And that's what I'm hopeful here with this is that there's what it takes the domino effect, isn't it? Only one person standing up and saying on oh, one organization and then others fall behind. Interestingly, I did mention this earlier on the breakfast show, but you know, that supermarket in the north of England that, that's mm -hmm. gone back to human beings with, uh, behind mm -hmm. the tills. The big corporations in America, Costco, Walmart, they're all now looking at putting uh, humans back on the cashiers, cashiers mm -hmm. and taking away the automated till. So one little domino in the north of England is, is influencing the corporations in America. Maybe Wembley and the Football Association will influence other institutions to stop. Stop now with the flags. Stop now with the virtue signaling. Stop, stop, stop. We may see that. We may. It's a good news story. I hope we do. And on the supermarket thing, I've noticed just personally, I, I try to go late at night. If I have to go to a supermarket late at night, I have found that I've went to several recently over the last few weeks, and there are people actually on the tilts late at night, 11 o'clock at night. They were never there, Gemma, until about a month ago. And I'm talking about all the major supermarkets or two of the ones that I go to anyway. There's a lot of humans on the tills right up the closing time now. So, you know, that's an indicator coming from where I am as well. I take it as a positive thing. I'm glad to see it. And I'm also glad that Wembley are drawing a line under this because, listen, the, when the October 7th attacks happened uh, in Israel, you know, and the war kicked off, the British government wanted to light up all, you know, their buildings with the Israeli flag, you know, which is virtue signaling from one perspective, especially when a lot of the people were taking to the streets in the UK with Palestinian flags. So the people seem to be on the side of Palestine. The government seemed to be on the side of Israel. So what you have is this polarity starting to happen. And when sporting events and sporting venues are used uh, to, to, to virtue signal, People associate Wembley Stadium with sport, okay? And sport is supposed to unify people. It's supposed to get people together. It's supposed to raise people's uh, optimism and hopes and, you know, raise their spirit up a little bit, take them out of the everyday life. They don't want to be bombarded with uh, rainbow flags or Palestinian flags or Israeli flags or any flags for that matter. Maybe they see they wear their team colors when they're going to support an event or somewhere like Live Aid that happened uh, in Wembley. You remember that uh, event back in 1985? That was when the stadium was used for a little bit of good, at least in some people's eyes anyway. But yeah, 100% agree with you. Let's keep the virtue signaling out of sport, out of entertainment, period. If you want to wear a, a flag around you, then that's your business as an individual. Or you want to fly one outside your house, you can do that. But don't expect the government to be flying flags because, let's face it, probably 50% of the people will disagree with the flag that's being flown, no matter what flag it is. So yeah, uh, maybe this is a step in the right direction for uh, the one and only Wembley Stadium. So uh, we'll, we'll take it as a win, uh, whether it is one or not for people par. Let's just claim it for people par anyway. What do you reckon? Yeah or nay? 
Yes, of course. Let's claim it for people power. Let's and I don't think it. even let's claim it. And I think people don't really like the virtue signaling, but they're too scared to say it. And I think organizations right. don't like it either. They're just too scared to say it. And I think the FA and Wembley have used this as a, as a perfect, great, you know, um, example or excuse of, of just stopping it. I, I doubt they liked it at all, but everyone's too scared not to. So, yeah, in a way, it is people. No, not in a way. Let's just have it. It's people power. It's people power. It's the footballers that spoke out, they're people too, aren't they? They're people too. Yeah, in fact, we'll go a step further. It was TNT that did it. Uh, we're going to claim the, the victory for that too. It was TNT. Why not? Why not? Maybe Why it not? was. Maybe they Why were not? listening to us. You've been listening to us, and so maybe the thing we need to take the advice that these guys are dispensing on a daily basis. But either way, good news. So big thumbs up for that one. Thank you, always, Gemma, uh, for the wonderful input. All being well, you'll enjoy the rest of your day. We'll catch up with each other again tomorrow morning. Stay tuned. Fabio Vici is in coming here to TNT Towers. So don't go away. We'll be right back after the short ad. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I, I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say, Charlie, it feels normal, but it ain't normal. <laughs> the world yeah. is not normal. It's completely gone off kilter. Charlie. Robinson on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. When a crisis hits close to home and across the globe, nonprofits are on the front lines ready to serve. Keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. The demand for charitable services has skyrocketed, and nonprofits are rising to meet the needs. Healing, nurturing, rescuing, honoring protecting, caring, inspiring. The work of philanthropic organizations of all sizes across all missions has never been more important. And it's donors and volunteers like you who make all this possible. Thank you. Together, we change the world. The Nonprofit Alliance. Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, let's get the business done. This is TNT Radio. We're coming at you live from an undisclosed location on the Gold Coast in Australia. Yes, from our very own offices or bunker up in the Gold Coast, TNT Radio is beaming at you live. And I'm joined this morning, very happy to be joined this morning again by my old sparring partner from Wales via some dodgy Italian places. I do believe he has connections with the mafia. He's joked about it, but I really do believe he's connected in some way, shape or form. We're talking to the one and only, the legendary Fabio <laughs> Vici, who is a professor of critical theory and, strangely enough, Italian. 
based out of Cardiff University. I'm very happy to be joined uh, again this morning by you, Fabio. Listen, every time, it's the same old, same old. I keep saying to you, man, since the last time we spoke, so much is happening. So much water has went under the bridge. But it's true. Uh, there seems to be one thing after another on the global stage. Uh, we have never any shortage of things uh, to talk about. And I want to machine gun a few things at you uh, this morning to get your views and your thoughts and opinions on them. Uh, if we can, uh, first of all, welcome back to the show. And I hope you're keeping well. Are you Are you ready for this today? Are you ready for this? I think I am, Rick. Yeah, very good to see you. And uh, thank you for the usual, very kind introduction. I really appreciate it. <laughs> defamatory introduction you know no, no, no. With my... <laughs> it's a theater isn't it yeah we're talking about well, a theater yeah. of or maybe, maybe we are, maybe we're not. But, but either way, speaking of theatre, well, let's let's start off with the most yeah. theatrical thing that I can think of uh, to talk yeah. to you about this morning. So there's a new uh, there's a new leader in uh, Argentina. Uh, very hard to escape mm. this chap, this chap by the name of Javier Millet. Okay, so he has been on the fringes for a while. In fact, I think we talked about him the last time that we were on together, and now he's uh, he's won the election. He's now uh, elected as president of Argentina. Since he's came on the scene, he seems to be like this over-the-top, uh, larger-than-life character. Some people are saying he's like Trump on steroids. Some people have said he's like Trump on cocaine. Okay, so he's a, he's, he's billed as being a right-wing guy. He's going to revolutionize things. We see him with a, a stick beating up a piñata, which is supposed to represent the Central Bank of Argentina. People are very happy to see this guy and calling him a breath of fresh air. But he does have links uh, with the World Economic Forum, or at least he did have for quite some time. He's very pro-Israeli in his stance at the moment. And of course, he was spotted yesterday wearing a face mask as he was uh, outside doing some uh, press photography. What's your initial take on Javier Millet? Um, I think he will fail like... Um... Most of those politicians in Argentina who've, um, you know, they're kind of caught in a sort of cycle of, 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 of hell almost. You know, Argentina is a very, very difficult country. They've got, uh, now they've got sort of, I think it's about 140% inflation, which is the official inflation. You know, it's in truth is much, much higher than that. Um, and, you know, for, for a number of years now, they've had a number of populist um, politicians and by populist here, I mean something quite precise. I mean, politicians who promise the people what the people want. The problem is that they're unable, you know, and, and they can't really give it to them because the conditions are not there. So they end up um, either uh, acting as, um, you know, Keynesians. So basically deficit spending, spending a lot of money and uh, in debt in the country, which a lot of them have done, obviously. Or uh, austerity guys. So the, those are the two monetary policies that are available. And um, the problem is that, that no the problem is that no real cycle of growth can be ignited. That's the real problem. So it doesn't matter if you're for deficit spending or for austerity. At the end of the day, if, the, if there's no cycle of real accumulation that can be ignited, they're not, you know they're going to fail. Full stop. There's there's nothing they can do. It seems to me very, as you said, very theatrical guy, extravagant guy, mm -hmm. over the top. Uh, reminds me a little bit of Berlusconi, maybe in his younger yes. years, in many ways. Um, very extravagant, uh, coming up with crazy ideas. Um, but and also, let's not forget that that Argentina I think has a, a 44.5 billion debt 
to the IMF, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in, you know, in the monetary fund. So they're in a very bad place. The paradox is that Argentina has a massive potential for growth, and let's not forget that up until I think the 1920s, 1930, even beginning of the 1930s, you know, they were probably the the one of the strongest economies in terms of growth uh, among the emerging economies. You know, um, so they they massive potential. Then 1929 happened, and they started going downhill. Um, you know, and precisely because of this um, inability to ignite a real, um, a, you know, a cycle of real uh, accumulation growth, you know, and therefore what you get is a is a vicious cycle of politicians who are you know promising um, uh, growth and 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 progress without being able to deliver it because the the, the actual conditions are not there. So mm-hmm. to me, it's this is a classic example of of, of political theater. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody so Ar- comes in. Argentina basically uh, just as we uh, go to the, uh, we've got to take a little news break now. Just in summary, then really, uh, Argentina's got great potential. Uh, it's coming off the back of some dark times. It's got great potential. Someone could step into the friend, do good things, but we don't agree uh, that uh, this guy is uh, Javier no. Millet is the man to do it. I think the yeah. fact, Fabio, that he's so over the top and he's almost like a caricature or a lampoon of an over the top yeah. politician, I think it's almost like trolling. You know, it's a, it's a, it's almost like they're <laughs> they're they're having a laugh when they instill this guy in situ. But I suppose, like everything else, my friend, time will tell when it comes to Javier Millet. We can remember this discussion we had about we Georgia will. Maloney. Uh, a year ago, we we said, okay, she's exploded yeah. onto the scene. She's promising heaven. She's going to reinstill family values. She's going to stop illegal immigration. She's not linked in with this and this. And then, of course, she's shown her true colors over the space of the last 12 months. And I think with the benefit of hindsight, maybe in a year from now, we'll have a really good evaluation of just exactly what Javier Millet was all about in Argentina. So we've got to take a quick break. When we come back after the news, I want to look at some of the developments that are happening in the Netherlands because there's uh, more political appeal happening there along the same lines as is happening in Argentina. So we'll look at a little bit about the developments in the Netherlands when we come back after this break here at TNT. Please don't go away. Big news, 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 news. A story which contains more than first meets the ear. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Authorities say there is no indication a vehicle explosion at a border checkpoint on a bridge in Niagara Falls was a terrorist attack. Security footage shows a speeding car losing control and becoming airborne before launching into a booth and bursting into flames. New polling out of the US shows almost half of Americans are now fed up with Washington sending their hard-earned money to Ukraine. And the planned ceasefire in Gaza has been delayed. The Common Housefly Caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Oh, dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNTradio.live. 
Okay, I'm talking with my friend Fabio Vici here this morning, who's very kindly agreed to join us. He is beaming in from uh, Cardiff University location. He's a professor of critical theory and Italian there, and he and I have been talking for quite some time now on and off about events that are happening on the world stage, because it is a stage, and it is a pantomime, and they need a continuous stream of actors, crisis actors, and crises to enable this business to continue rolling on ahead. And, you know, Fabio, last year, two years ago, actually, when we, almost two years ago, when we started talking we were we were hypothesizing we were saying how much mileage is left in this business and then of course uh there was the ukraine war and then it kind of ran out of steam and then of course in october the 7th then we had the israeli uh palestine middle east war that's yeah. been declared with a lot of other people to still throw the ring into the hat with that one so the crises are continuing on a bit and the characters are in constant rotation on the world stage. Now, I want to hop across to the Netherlands, yeah. not somewhere we've ever discussed before, but there's a first time for everything. So the Netherlands, uh, after the success of Geert Wilders, it has become likely also that the Austri Austrian Freedom Party will achieve similar results in the general election next year. Now, Geert Wilders, uh, during the short break, uh, we were talking about he's very anti-Islam. I understand he was actually banned from entering the UK about 10 or 13 years ago uh, because of his... Uh, uh, policies on immigration or anti-immigration policies within uh, the EU. Tell us a little bit about Geert Wilders or what you know about him. Or again, is he almost like another uh, Javier Millet character? Only this time it's the Netherlands rather than Argentina. I think I think that's exactly it. You know, I think we're talking about the same type that's been casted in this role. False polarizations are crucial, creating conflicts all the time. We are in a crisis-to-crisis -crisis mechanism. It plays mm -hmm. out in in the poli in in politics, you know, in, at the center of our you know um, civilization, as it were, and also it it plays out um, as a crisis, as, as a military crisis, um, in the outskirts at the moment. But you know, it could well it also come closer to home very soon. Um, the problem is that this system cannot do without crisis, cannot do without polarizations. That's the point that we've always you know discussed in the past. Crisis and polarization are crucial. Uh, if you don't mind, before, I mean, Wilders to me is a classic example of that type type of polarization, um, anti-immigration, creating um, this, this kind of theater, really, political theater, uh, as if people were supposed to think that this is not linked to the economic situation in the background, right? The point is that this is, all this theater that we see in politics is a, um, um, a product of um, um, an economic crisis that is playing out now and is accelerating throughout the world, right? So we said from the very beginning that the mechanism in place is crisis to crisis to crisis. And I think people have to understand that, the, I, from my angle at least, the, 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 the fundamental reason why we're going from crisis to crisis to crisis, we had COVID. COVID functioned precisely mm -hmm. to pump trillions of money into the system that was going um, that was drying up in terms of liquidity. We said that from the very beginning, right? We called that from the very beginning that you're going to use COVID to pump trillions into the into the economy that is that is drying up, and especially the debt markets. The debt markets need constant sources of liquidity in order to move this liquidity then into the stock markets and prop up the whole financial sector. This is the fundamental thing. And then with Ukraine and especially Gaza, we see something very similar. If you don't mind, just briefly on Gaza, because mm -hmm. I think it's really it's really crucial to point mm -hmm. out one thing that I don't think is discussed enough, right? 
what we had before Gaza for the, for the whole month of September, if you remember, if you remember, we had a, a massive spike in the 10-year yield, right? The, um, the U.S. Treasury, which is the benchmark of world debt, literally, right? It's, it's, it's the bond that, that sums up the, you know, the, 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 the state of health of the world economy, you know, the health of the world economy. Now, this bond was spiking, the yield was spiking and uh, very dangerously, you know, it went from, I think, 4.10 to 4.8 um, in the space of a few weeks and causing all sorts of turmoil because the moment the yields go up, that become more expensive to repay and the, and the value of those bonds collapses. Mm-hmm. Because those bonds are really at the center of the economy, everybody has them. If they collapse, they can no longer work as collateral and the whole economy then is at risk of contagion and collapse, right? So something had to be done to stabilize the, the death, the bonds. So what we have is a mass attacks on 7th of um, October. Then if you remember on the 19th of October, uh, Joe Biden goes on television uh, nationally from, 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 from the Oval Office, uh, which doesn't happen very often anyway, and says to the nation, don't worry, we are there, we are back in Israel, we're sending money, we're sending mm-hmm. weapons, um, we are the essential nation. That's what he says. We are the essential, the essential nation. Don't you worry, we're there to protect you, right? Uh, a fascinating speech, a 15-minute speech. You've got you to listen to that because that it, everything is there. So the U.S. will be there to, to protect you. What happens to those bonds immediately? They, they, they're almost gone to 5%. Immediately after that speech, they come down to 4.4, where they, where they still are. And all of a sudden, we have the biggest rally in the financial markets that we've seen, and you know, in in, in recent months, and, and totally unhoped for, because you know nobody would could see that coming, right? Yeah. So cl- the classic the classic example of bonds going stabilizing, bond yield stabilizing, and and cash flowing into the financial market. So I think people need st- need to start thinking about that connection, mm-hmm. crisis, wars, etc. Today, particularly, are meant to have an effect on bonds, on debt, uh, because that is at the very center, pulsating heart of our economy and therefore of our social existence, you know, because the economy is what supports our social existence and the reproduction of our societies. So that to me is the crucial thing to think about. And and I noticed that not very, not very, not a lot of people are talking about it, but it's, to me, no, it seems very not. obvious. Pe- they're not at seem all. To be, uh, people seem to be, Fabio, do you not find that people have been, um, it's a little bit like uh, governments, for example, a lot of governments uh, in the World Economics Forum's uh, own words, they say, we have penetrated a lot of the world's governments. So a lot of, uh, you know, the world leaders during this, the, the scandemic, the, the the COVID pandemic, you know, you look at the like of, um, uh, you know, Maloney, you look at the like of uh, uh, Emmanuel Macron, you look at uh, Jacinda Ardern, you look at Scott Morrison, you look at uh, Justin Trudeau, you look at Biden, you look at, you look at just about everybody and they all have uh, affiliations with the WEF, but people in general will look to their elected leaders or their so-called elected leaders to point the finger of blame to 
I think in economic terms, would you agree that a lot of people are looking at inflation and they're looking at interest rates as indicators of the way things are going rather than looking at the bond markets, which is where the true indicators of the direction of economic movement are. That's why maybe nobody's talking about it because we're preoccupied and we're obsessed with interest rate fluctuations and inflation fluctuations. We need to be maybe spending a little bit more time looking at the bond markets. Well, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody looks at that. And and to me, the example of of the um, the Hamas invasion followed by the you know uh, genocide genocide really that's what we're seeing now in Palestine. Let's be clear about it. You know, it's a, an atrocious um, extermination of people. Really, um, is what has what was needed in a way is another war theater, another another theater of war that that is needed uh, for the U.S. to to come in and say we will protect you and the moment they say that the bonds become all of a sudden much more stable right because of that intervention because of that and and then of course they're going to sell it to us oh don't worry it's because the gdp figures were so good all of a sudden and 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 the numbers were so good that all of a sudden there was this um um the people people all of a sudden started invested into american debt you know, but I think it's got to do with wars. We've got Ukraine had a very similar purpose. If you think about it, it's another war that happens in the Ukraine where the United States, of course, and the West, the collective West, in a sense, are backing the Ukraine and are acting as. Of course, there are also other geopolitical reasons and so on. It's, mu it's a much more complex situation. But from a from from an economic perspective, and, and that is the central perspective, uh, perspective by definition, then you need to think about propping up those bonds, the necessity to prop up those bonds, to keep the value of those bonds high enough for capital to circulate freely from debt to stock markets, especially. And today we are in a, in a, in a, in a rally, you know, in un, totally an unexpected rally as a consequence of those bonds holding up, right, mm -hmm. rather than yields spiking. Uh, the, something else that you touched about there, just uh, maybe to run us up to our next break. Um, we've went from looking at uh, Wilders, uh, we've looked at Malay yeah. in Argentina, we looked at Wilders, we looked at the changing uh, players and the crises that have been brought out almost uh, one after the other, like a relay. You know what a relay race? Well, that's you know, it. when yeah. someone has, has the baton and they run alongside yes. a runner and then they pass the baton. Well, I think that's what we saw. You've just described it there with um, the, the COVID uh, epidemic starting or in, uh, you know, late 2019, early 2020, that ran its course. Its leg, I think, was to take us up to February of 2022 when the baton was passed to Ukraine. It ran its leg up until October the 7th when, let's face it, it, it was beginning to run, that narrative was beginning to run out of steam. Now we have this uh, Israel-Palestine Middle East leg, but Dare I say it, this one is much more significant because there's a lot more people yes. potentially going to be weighing in on this when you have Iran right. on the periphery, you have Turkey on the periphery, you have Egypt and Lebanon on the periphery, you have China sending uh, warships into the Middle East as well. And of course, you have America pledging their support to Israel. You have so many players in this one. It's not just a case of it's a proxy war with Russia through Ukraine. This could be, you know, encompassing the entire Middle East and Will anyone escape this? Uh, you know, is anyone going to be able to say, I'm sitting this one out, or will people have to take their side on this one? Is it going to be no, the mother could, of all conflicts? 
it could easily escalate, as we know, Iran. There's there's a number of things that could happen there, and it and it's always been the case, even before. It's not by chance that the the, the U.S. particularly were there for twenty years before COVID erupted. Let's not forget that the uh, agreement, the peace agreements between the U.S. and Afghanistan and the Taliban's were signed on the 29th of February 2020, two weeks after, more or less, we had the official declaration of COVID. So once again, that baton metaphor works really well, right? Even, even if you think about the beginning of the century, the 20 years of war on terror, which is now potentially coming back with this anti-Islamic uh, mm-hmm. propaganda that comes out of, of course, Gaza, and and another polarization there that has been, I think, cre- not not so much created but really exaggerated, um, precisely to um, to allow certain players to come in and and prop up a certain dimension of the economy that needs to be propped up. In this case, the bond market, I think. Right. So mm-hmm. I think it's a very interesting and quite perverse. Uh, mechanism, right? Quite uh, kind of criminal, really, mechanism, if you think about the loss of lives and uh, the destruction, the way in which that that genocide has been normalized by the media today, mm-hmm. that, you know, something which is in, 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 incredibly violent and destructive has been, has been normalized and almost relegated as, you know, to the level of any other piece of news that comes in. It's It's mm-hmm. crazy how how it's 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 just it's been taken off the 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 center stage right all of a sudden as if it's normal that the people go in and bomb uh, um poor people who live in that kind of concentration camp mm-hmm. really been living there for 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 decades um it's it's quite sickening to see that to be honest it's a, it's again a kind of step in in a in a very nasty direction that we're going in terms of international and 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 believe me expect something more because this is not this is not enough those no. bond deals will spike again soon and 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 they will cause uh problems for the stock markets uh, you know indirectly because the stock market that's not let's, let's say that at that point again is a derivative of the bond market it derives its value from what happens in the bond markets. The moment there's a turbulence in the bond markets, you need wars, you need distractions, you need reasons to make people, the big investors believe that those bond markets are safe. And here the geopolitical um, uh, situation becomes interesting because we got, of course, the US-led Western uh, uh, side, and then you got China and the BRICS. And again, um maybe there will be something interesting happening in taiwan soon um yeah. after after the middle east dies out you know after the, the the middle east sort of if it might take years of course because the escalation is likely with iran being uh, uh you know probably the next um to to step in and and but um taiwan is always on the horizon i think right because at well, some point some something will happen there too Let's let's pause. I've got to take a quick uh, ad break, but a fantastic summary there. Uh, in a nutshell, that's one of the best little uh, pointers that you've ever given this show. That if you're listening in today and you want to look at when you could potentially see another disaster unraveling or another war declared, look at spikes 
in the bond yields because it's at those times that they need these catastrophic events to bring those back under control again. So that's a fantastic uh, piece of advice, by the way, Fabio, in all seriousness, a fantastic piece of advice. Forget interest rates, forget inflation, look at spikes in bond yields, and these catastrophes normally follow hand in hand a spike in bond yields. So uh, we're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, I want to look at the Dutch Central Bank, maybe going back to a gold standard again, preparing to go back to a gold standard again. So that's on the cards as well, economically, here on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. A very interesting study has come out. The top 1% of wage earners in the world produce 99% of the emissions of CO2. Now, if CO2 were bad, that'd be a big problem. But it's not bad. But it's very interesting the way they came up with that. The number one producer of CO2 with 1.3 billion people is China. So the Chinese have to be consuming more CO2 than, let's say, the United States. And they do five to ten times more. But that's interesting. Is this study saying that the average wage in China is higher than the average wage in the United States? I seriously doubt that. And the answer is not with CO2. It has to do with the system, the system of capitalism and freedom, which of course is being taken apart in the United States and other areas in the West, versus the Chinese system. Now we continue to see China thumbing its nose at the rest of the world as they have produced 137 coal plants in the last two years and continue to build them like mad. And yet they say, oh, well, we're going to be carbon neutral by 2050. By 2050? I thought the world's ending within 10 years. What good is carbon neutral by 2050? They're not going to be carbon neutral anytime in anyone's lifetime and likely in anyone's lifetime that has not been born yet. This is TNT, Climate and Weather Watchdog, meteorologist Joe Bastardi, asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. You ever heard of a polyp? Sounds like a rare species of toad. Actually, it's a lump that grows inside me, your bowel. Look, I'm pretty sure if you had a strange lump growing on your forehead, you might get it looked at, right? But when they're growing inside me, nothing, nada. And the polyps I get can lead to Australia's second deadliest cancer. So, until there's a way to make them grow on your face, it's up to you to get me looked at. Got it? Rick Mon is locked and loaded on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, we may take breaks during the show, but me and the guests, we don't stop talking uh, because we're just into this business. Sad as that may seem to some of you, we actually really get fired up by all the things that are happening in the world at the minute. Now, something else that we have discussed at length in the past was moving away from a gold standard way back in the 70s really was a death knell for, you know, fiat currencies were brought in and we're in this position that we're in at the minute. Uh, Dutch Central Bank admits it is prepared for a new gold standard. So this is an article uh, that was published uh, a few days ago in a recent interview. The Dutch Central Bank, the DNB, shares that it has equalized its gold reserves relative to GDP to other countries in the Eurozone and outside of Europe. So in a nutshell, uh, this has been a political decision. Uh, If there is a financial crisis, the gold price will skyrocket. Official gold reserves can be used to underpin a new gold standard, according to the DNB. So 
like uh, these politicians we talked about during the break, the mm. likes of Tony Blair, the likes of David Cameron making comebacks again. Bill Clinton never ne- really went away. Uh, we're talking about Mario Draghi over in Italy. Is he really gone away after Maloney came in? Gold, uh, gold went away back in the 70s. But is it poised to make a comeback? And we've talked about the importance of maybe investment in precious metals over the last year or two as well. Could this be the time when that investment really pays off if you've been stockpiling a little bit of gold or silver bullion? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I, I think it's not. It's not not by by accident that a lot of central banks around the world are stocking up on gold, particularly. Uh, they're buying a lot of gold, so they're sensing clearly a, a massive devaluation in fiat currencies coming away. And I think it's there's no other there's no other way. I mean, the system at one point will have to. We'll have to devalue the currencies even more. We'll have to do more printing, more printing, to support um, to support the, the 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 system itself, and particularly the bond markets once again and the stock markets, which are now the drivers. Right? I mean, another thing that people don't often don't really realize is that the real economy is now an appendage to the financial sector. The financial sector is really the 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 you know at the heart of the economy. So they need most of all to protect protect stocks, equities, and and bonds, obviously. Um, and I think the only way to do it now is um, by printing more money, by doing exactly what they did during COVID. Now, during COVID, they pumped lots of liquidity into the system, and I think now banks, the mega banks, are still liquid enough. They still got ways of getting that liquidity, which works like um, like like oil in in the engine of, of a machine. You know, you need the oil to make it. To make it run properly, um, and as long as there is enough liquidity in the system, they can refinance the debt. For example, they can roll over the debt. They can continue with their speculations, etc. Right. So things more or less work. Um, but but now we're running towards a period where liquidity will will also dry up very very quickly. We've seen we've seen symptoms. We have mm-hmm. signals of it already in March April this year when the there was the kind of collapse of the uh, of the reg- of the regional California regional banks. Uh, five of them now in total have collapsed. One, a big European bank, has collapsed also in, in in Switzerland. So, you know, it's a sign that liquidity is once again running out. What the system needs, therefore, is more liquidity. But in order to pump more liquidity at the levels that are required today, they also need. A reason to do it. They cannot just do it out of the blue. They need a reason. COVID was a good reason to do it. You know, it was the perfect reason to do it. Um, the way they manipulated it, obviously, and and something something uh, you know with a similar traction will need to be brought in at some point so that these 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 mega QEs, mega quantitative easing, um, will you know will be executed. Um, so I think I I that's why I see. The investment in gold, um, gold will you know central banks realize that, and now and now individual nations are realizing that the stocking gold is necessary in a world that devalues its fiat its fiat currencies. Now, with regards to the gold uh, standard, I'm not sure whether we can go back to a system um, like you know like it was up until 1971. When the, when the gold window was closed, I'm not sure whether we can do it because we built so much out of these fiat currencies that it would be difficult now 
to tie those currencies to gold again, right? There's a constant need to reproduce the financial sector and 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 through uh, um, uh, credit uh, or debt uh, that need to be extended further and further into the future, right? If that doesn't happen, if that stops, everything collapses. But in order for those bubbles to continue to inflate, we need more and more of those fiat currencies, which means that those fiat, fiat currencies are devalued more and more as we go into the so, future. So, so I, I don't see like, a solution to this, right? In, in, I don't think there's yeah. a solution to this. Um, within, within this system, there is no solution to it. You know, and we're moving more and more towards a manipulated um, uh, monetary system where central banks more and more openly manipulate the system. They've got, they got ways of doing it. They've got the repo markets, the reverse repo markets, you know, ways of keeping the system liquid. But at one point soon, I think they will need something bigger because more money will need to be injected into the system. Again, you know, like in September 2019, when we had that repo, uh, repocalypse, as it was known then, um, where, where all of a sudden the repo market uh, dried up, uh, there was a credit freeze there, and and it had to be unblocked, as it were. And I think the COVID crisis fulfilled precisely that uh, that purpose. So yeah, we need something fulfilled. something like COVID again soon. We will need something like COVID again soon, unfortunately. Something really big that allows for it's, this massive injection. It's almost a given. I know it's very sad. And <laughs> uh, well, since since the, even since uh, just after COVID started to die off, the narrative of COVID started to die off. You know, they were talking about, okay, when the next one comes, not if the next one yeah. comes, when the next one comes, we need a lockstep effort. That's why you have the World Health Organization uh, trying to push for the pandemic treaties to happen to make sure every place operates in exactly the same way every time yeah. for the next, the big one. And even old Gates, I remember Gates sitting uh, about a year or two ago before he split up with his wife. He said, you know what? He said, when the next one comes, he said, they'll really pay attention to the next one when it comes. So I don't think it's going to be a case of, sadly, sadly, I don't think it's going to be a case of a, a dose of the cold or having a runny nose or, you know, having to stay in bed for two or three days and take some painkillers. I think whatever it is that they're cooking up, uh, is it not this way, Fabio, just as we come up to the end of the show, is it not like they have to keep... Uh, raising their game and make the the evil that they're perpetrating more and more wicked with it, you know with every passing conflict that comes with every passing decision that's made so sadly and possibly then with every possible uh, pathogen that they may release onto the world it has to be more spectacular than the last one because they need to achieve more control and more right. destruction yeah. with every passing uh, moment yeah. just got a few minutes left what do you think about that yeah, I think that's that, that's the kind of escalation I'm thinking about too. I think it's going to get worse uh, before it gets better for sure. Um, they have a system that is unmanageable as it is, right? The only way the only way they can think of managing it is by by uh, uh, managing poverty. Really, I mean, ultimately, that's what it's about. You, you know, if we go into a, into a we, we're already in a in a in a situation of structural inflation, so structural monetary devaluation. Uh, purchasing power is is collapsing, despite what they tell us. You know, they tell us that inflation is is disinflating, but when we go to the supermarket, we realize that actually the cost of basic uh, foods, for example, is still you know still going up. Uh, it's not really coming down. Um, at the same time, wages are not moving. Uh, the economies are stagnating, literally. 
we are going towards a, a recession, um, I would say a global recession, if we're not already in it um, in many ways. Um, so I think the problem they have is, is, is quite simple from their perspective, how to safeguard the financial sector first of all because that's you know that's the how that's how they keep the status quo going you know by by safeguarding the financial sector and they will do it whatever it takes you know to use mario draghi's famous phrase whatever mm -hmm. it takes so and and that needs to be taken literally whatever it takes it takes a war it takes a um a nuclear explosion mm -hmm. it takes a cyber attack uh, it might take another run of the pandemic or a Taiwan, an incident in Taiwan so that you can stage a war with China or, you know, again, a fake war with China, but nevertheless, it appears real enough mm -hmm. to convince people that it's potentially apocalyptic and therefore we need some kind of uh, monetary <laughs> help or whatever, some kind of economic help. So that's where the world is going, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It's very it's important to keep that in mind. Very important so, to keep and to have and critical awareness it, of what's coming. Just as we come to the end, in summary, uh, with Mario Draghi, whatever it takes is what they will do. And also to quote Tesco here in the United Kingdom, every little helps. So every little disaster helps and whatever it takes is what they will do to bring about their wicked schemes. Fabio, we're out of time here today. Thank you very much, as always, for taking time out of your day to talk to us so frankly and so directly and uh, very informatively as well. I want to believe that a lot of people were enlightened by what you had to say this morning. You and I will take, uh, stay in contact, but for now, got to go. James Freeman on the way. Stay tuned for more magic here only on the one and only TNT Radio.